Chapter Two of Cecilia de Noël by Lenoy Falconer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two: The Stranger's Gospel. From the short, unsatisfying slumber which sometimes follows a night of insomnia, I was awakened by the laughter and shouts of children. When I looked out, I saw brooding above the hollow a still grey day in whose light the woodlands of the park were all in sombre brown and the trout stream between its sedgy banks glided dark and lustreless on the lawn still wet with dew and crossed by the shadows of the bare elms atherley's little sons harold and dennis were playing with a very unlovely but much beloved mongrel named tip they had bought him with their own pocket-money from a tinker who was ill-using him, and then claimed for him the hospitality of their parents. So, though Atherley often spoke of the dog as a disgrace to the household, he remained a member thereof, and received, from a family incapable of being uncivil, far less unkind to an animal, as much attention as if he had been high-bred and beautiful, which, indeed, he plainly supposed himself to be. When, about an hour later, after their daily custom, this almost inseparable trio fell into the breakfast-room as if the door had suddenly given way before them, the boys were able to revenge themselves for the rebuke this interest provoked by the tidings they brought with them i say old mallet is going cried harold cheerfully as he wriggled himself on to his chair dennis mind i want some of that egg stuff take your arms off the table harold said lady atherley pray how do you know mrs mallet is going she said so herself she said he went on screwing up his nose and speaking in a falsetto to express the intensity of his scorn she said she was afraid of the ghost i told you i did not allow that word to be mentioned i did not it was old mallet but pray what were you doing in old mallet's domain asked atherley cooking cabbage for tip hm what with ghosts by night and boys by day our cook seems to have a pleasant time of it i shall be glad when miss jones holidays are over castleman is it true that mrs mallet talks of leaving us because of the ghost i am sure i don't know sir george answered the old butler she was going on about it very foolish this morning and how is the kitchen-maid has not come down yet sir george says her nerve is shook said castleman retiring with a plate to the sideboard then added with the freedom of an old servant bile i should say probably we had better send for dr what's-his-name the usual doctor is away said lady atherley there is a london doctor in his place he is clever lady sylvia said but he gives himself airs never mind what he gives himself if he gives his patients the right thing and after all we can manage very well without anne but what are we to do about mrs mallet i always told you how it would be but my dear it is not my fault you look as reproachfully at me as if it were my ghost which was causing all this disturbance instead of the ghost of a remote ancestor predecessor in fact no but you will always talk just as if it was of no consequence i don't talk of the cook's going as being of no consequence far from it but you must not let her go that is all 
how can i prevent her going i think you had better talk to her yourself i should like to meet her very much would not you lindy i should like to hear her story it must be a blood-curdling one to judge from its effect upon anne the only person i have yet met who pretended to have seen the ghost was aunt eleanor and what was it like daddy asked dennis much interested she did not say din she would never tell me anything about it would she tell me i am afraid not i don't think she would tell any one except perhaps mr lindsay he has a way of worming things out of people mr lindsay how do you worm things out of people i don't know dennis you must ask your father first by never asking any questions said atherley promptly and then by a curious way he has of looking as if he was listening attentively to what was said to him instead of thinking as most people do what he shall say himself when he gets a chance of putting a word in but how could aunt eleanor see the ghost when there is not any such thing cried harold how indeed said his father rising that is just the puzzle it will take you years to find it out lindy look into the morning-room in about half an hour and you will hear a tale whose lightest word will harrow up thy soul etc etc as lady atherley kindly seconded this invitation i accepted it though not with the consequences predicted anything less suggestive of the supernatural or in every way less like the typical ghost-seer was surely never produced than the round and rubicund little person i found in conversation with the atherleys mrs mallet was a brunette who might once have considered herself a beauty to judge by the self-conscious and self-satisfied simper which the ghastliest recollections were unable to banish as i entered i caught only the last words of atherley's speech treating you well mrs mallet oh no sir george answered mrs mallet standing very straight and stiff with two plump red hands folded demurely before her which i have not a word to say against any one but have met ever since i come here with the greatest of kindness and respect but the noises sir the noises of a night is more than i can bear oh they are only rats mrs mallet no rats in this world ever made such a noise sir george which the very first night as i slept here there come the most mysteriousest sounds as ever i hear which i says to han whatever are you doing which she woke up all of a sudden as young people will and said she never hear nor yet see nothing what was the noise like mrs mallet well sir george i can only compare it to the dragging of heavy furniture which i really thought at first it was her ladyship a-coming upstairs to waken me took bad with burglars or a fire but mrs mallet i am sure you are too brave a woman to mind a little noise it is not only noises sir george last night mrs mallet drew a long breath and closed her eyes yes mrs mallet pray go on i am very curious to hear what did happen last night it makes the cold chills run over me to think of it we was all gone to bed leastway the maids and me and han and me was just got to my room when says she to me oh la whatever do you think says she 
i promised ellen when she went out this afternoon as i would shut the windows in the pink bedroom at four o'clock and never come to think of it till this minute she says oh dear i says and them new chintzes will be entirely ruined with the damp why what a good-for-nothing girl you are i says and what you thinks on half your time is more than i can tell whatever shall i do she says for go along there at this time of night all by myself i dare not says she well i says rather than you should go alone i'll go along with you i says for stay here by myself i would not i says not if any one was to pay me hundreds so we went down our stairs and along our passage to the door which you go into the gallery han a-clutching hold of me and starting which when we come into the gallery i was all of a tremble and she shook so i said la han for goodness sake do carry that candle straight or you will grease the carpet shameful and come to the pink room i says open the door la says she what if we was to see the ghost hold your silly nonsense this minute i says and open the door which she do but stand right back for to let me go first when true as ever i am standing here my lady i see something white go by like a flash and struck me cold in the face and blew the candle out and then come the fearfulest noise which thunderclaps is nothing to it han began a screamin and we ran as fast as ever we could till we come to the pantry where mr castleman and the footman was i thought i should ha died died i thought i should my face was as white as that antimacassar how could you see your face mrs mallet somewhat peevishly objected lady atherley but mrs mallet with great dignity retorted which i looked down my nose and it were like a corpse's very alarming said atherley but easily explained directly you opened the door there was of course a draught from the open window that draught blew the candle out and knocked something over probably a screen la bless you sir george it was more like paving stones than screens a-fallen and indeed mrs mallet was so far right that when to settle the weighty question once for all we adjourned in a body to the pink bedroom we discovered that nothing less than the ceiling or at least a portion of it had fallen and was lying in a heap of broken plaster upon the floor however the moral as atherley hastened to observe was the same you see mrs mallet this was what made the noise mrs mallet made no reply but it was evident she neither saw nor intended to see anything of the kind and atherley wisely substituted bribery for reasoning but even with this he made little way till accidentally he mentioned the name of mrs de noel when as if it had been a name to conjure by mrs mallet showed signs of softening yes think of mrs de noel mrs mallet what will she say if you leave her cousin to starve i should not wish such a thing to happen for a moment said mrs mallet as if this had been no figure of speech but the actual alternative not to any relation of mrs de noel and shortly after the debate ended with a cheerful well mrs mallet you will give us another trial from atherley there he exclaimed as we all three returned to the morning-room there is as splendid an example of the manufacture of a bogey as you are ever likely to meet with 
all the spiritual phenomena are produced much the same way work yourself up into a great state of terror and excitement in the first place in the next procure one companion if not more as credulous and excitable as yourself go at a late hour and with a dim light to a place where you have been told you will see something supernatural steadfastly and determinedly look out for it and you will have your reward these are precisely the lines on which a spiritual seance is conducted only instead of plaster which is not always so obliging as to fall in the nick of time you have a paid medium who supplies the material for your fancy to work upon mrs mallet you see has discovered all this for herself that woman is a born genius just think what she might have been and seen if she had lived in a sphere where neither cooking nor any other rational occupation interfered with her pursuit of the supernatural mrs molyneux would be nowhere beside her i suppose she really does intend to stay said lady atherley of course she does i always told you my powers of persuasion were irresistible but how annoying about the ceiling said lady atherley over the new carpet too what can make the plaster fall in this way it is the quality of the climate said atherley it is horribly destructive if you would read the batch of letters now on my writing-table from tenant farmers you would see what i mean barns roofs gates everything is falling to pieces and must immediately be repaired at the landlord's expense of course we must send for a plasterer said lady atherley and then the doctor perhaps you would have time to go round his way george no i have no time to go anywhere but to northside farm hunt has been waiting nearly half an hour for me as it is lindy would you like to come with me no thank you george i too am a landowner and i mean to look over my audit accounts to-day don't compare yourself to a poor overworked underpaid landowner like me you are one of the landlords they spout about in london parks on sundays you have nothing to do but sign receipts for your rent paid in full and up to date mr lindsay is an excellent landlord said lady atherley and they tell me the new church and the school he has built are charming very mischievous things both said atherley ta-da that afternoon atherley being absent and lady atherley having gone forth to pay a round of calls the little boys undertook my entertainment they were in rather a sober mood for them having just forfeited four weeks pocket-money towards expenses incurred by tip in the dairy where they had foolishly allowed him to enter so they accepted very good-humouredly my objections to wading in the river or climbing trees and took me instead for a walk to beggar's style we climbed up the steep carriage drive to the lodge passed through the big iron gates turned sharply to the left and went down the road which the park palings border and the elms behind them shade past the little copse beyond the park till we came to a tumble-down gate with a stile beside it in the hedgerow and this was beggar's stile it was just on the brow of the little hill which sloped gradually downward to the village beneath and commanded a wide view of the broad shallow valley and of the rising ground beyond i was glad to sit down on the step of the stile are you tired already mr lindsay inquired harold incredulously yes a little i suppose you are tired because you always have to pull your leg after you said dennis 
turning upon me two large topaz-coloured eyes does it hurt you mr lindsay mother told you not to talk about mr lindsay's leg observed harold sharply no she didn't she said i was not to talk about the funny way he walked she said well never mind little man i interrupted is that wheeled down there yes cried dennis maintaining his balance on the topmost bar but one of the gate with enviable ease all these cottages and houses belong to weald and it is all daddy's on this side of the river down to where you see the white railings a long way down near the poplars and that is the road we go to tea with aunt eleanor and do you see a little blue speck on the hill over there you could see if you had a telescope daddy showed me once but you must shut your eye that is quarley beacon where aunt sissy lives no she does not stupid cried harold now suspended head downwards by one foot from the topmost rail of the gate no one lives there she lives in quarley manor just behind dennis replied indirectly to the discourteous tone of this speech by trying with the point of his own foot to dislodge that by which harold maintained his remarkable position and a scuffle ensued wherein though a non-combatant i seemed likely to get the worst when their attention was fortunately diverted by the sight of tip sneaking off and evidently with the vilest motives towards the covert my memory was haunted that day by certain words spoken seven months ago by atherley and by me at the time very ungraciously received remember if you come a cropper it will be hard with you old man you can't shoot or hunt or fish off the blues like other men no nor could i work them off as some might have done i possessed no distinct talents no marked vocation if there was nothing behind and beyond all this what an empty freak of destiny my life would have been full not even of sound and fury but of dull commonplace suffering a tale told by an idiot with a spice of malice in him then the view before me made itself felt as a gentle persistent sound might have done a flat almost featureless scene a little village church with cottages and gardens clustering about it straggling away from it by copses and meadows in which winter had left only the tenderest shades of the saddest colours the winding river brightened the dull picture with broken glints of silver and the tawny hues of the foreground faded through soft gradations of violet and azure into a far distance of pearly grey it is not the scenery men cross continents and oceans to admire and yet it has a message of its own i felt it that day when i was heart-weary and was glad that in one corner of this restless world the little hills preach peace meantime tip had been recaptured and when he or rather the ground close beside him had been beaten severely with sticks and he himself upbraided in terms which left the censor's horse we went down again into the hollow then lady atherley returned and gave me tea and afterwards in the library i worked at accounts till it was nearly too dark to write no doubt on the high ground the sky was aflame with brilliant colour of which only a dim reflection tinged the dreary view of sward and leafless trees to which for some mysterious reason a gig crawling down the carriage drive gave the last touch of desolation just as i laid my pen aside the door opened and castleman introduced a stranger 
if you will wait here sir i will find her ladyship the newcomer was young and slight with an erect carriage and a firm step he had the finely cut features and dull colouring which i associate with the high-pressure life of a busy town so that i guessed who he was before his first words told me no thank you i will not sit down i expect to be called to my patient immediately the thought of this said patient made me smile and in explanation i told him from what she was supposed to be suffering well it is less common than other forms of feverishness but will probably yield to the same remedies was his only comment you do not believe in ghosts pardon me i do just as i believe in all symptoms when my patient tells me he hears bells ringing in his ear or feels the ground swaying under his feet i believe him implicitly though i know nothing of the kind is actually taking place the ghost so far belongs to the same class as the other experiences that it is a symptom it may be of a very trifling it may be of a very serious disorder the voice the keen flash of the eye impressed me i recognized one of those alert intelligences beside whose vivid flame the mental life of most men seems to smoulder i wished to hear him speak again is this your view of all supernatural manifestations of all so-called supernatural manifestations i don't understand the word or the distinction no event which has actually taken place can be supernatural since it belongs to the actual it must be governed by it must be the outcome of laws which everywhere govern the actual everywhere and at all times in fact it must be natural whatever we may think of it then if a miracle should be proven it would be no miracle to you certainly not and it would convince you of nothing neither me nor any one else who has outgrown his childhood i should think i have never been able to understand the outcry of the orthodox over their lost miracles it makes their position neither better nor worse the miracles could never prove their creeds how am i to recognize a divine messenger he makes the furniture float about the room he changes that coal into gold he projects himself or his image here when he is a thousand miles away why an emissary from the devil might do as much it only proves always supposing he really does these things instead of merely appearing to do so it proves that he is better acquainted with natural laws than i am what if he could kill me by an effort of the will what if he could bring me to life again it is always the same he might still be morally my inferior he might be a false prophet after all he took out his watch and looked at it by this simple action illustrating and reminding me of the difference between us he talking to pass away the time i thinking aloud the gnawing question at my heart and you have no hope for anything beyond this something in my voice must have struck his ear trained like every other organ of observation to quick and fine perception for he looked at me more attentively and it was in a gentler tone that he said surely you do not mean for a life beyond this one's best hope must be that the whole miserable business ends with death have you found life so wretched i am not speaking from my own particular point of view i am singularly exceptionally fortunate i am healthy 
i have tastes which i can gratify work which i keenly enjoy whether the tastes are worth gratifying or the work worth doing i cannot say at least they act as an anodyne to self-consciousness they help me to forget the farce in which i play my part like solomon and all who have had the best of life i call it vanity what do you suppose it is to those by far the largest number remember who have had the worst of it to them it is not vanity it is misery but they suffer under the invariable laws you speak of laws working toward deliverance and happiness in the future the future yes i know that form of consolation which seems to satisfy so many to me it seems a hollow one i have never yet been able to understand how any amount of ecstasy enjoyed by b a million years hence can make up for the torture a is suffering to-day i suppose dealing so much with individuals as i do i am inclined to individualize like a woman i think of units rather than of the mass at this moment i have before me a patient now left suffering pain as acute as any the rack ever inflicted how does it affect his case that centuries later such pain may be unknown of course the individual's one and only hope is a future existence then it may be all made up to him i see no reason to hope so either there is no god and we shall still be at the mercy of the blind destiny we suffer under here or there is a god the god who looks on this world and makes no sign the sooner we escape from him by annihilation the better christians would tell you he had given a sign yes so they do in words and deny it in deeds nothing is sadder on the whole tragedy or comedy than these pitiable efforts to hide the truth to gloss it over with fables which nobody in his heart of hearts believes at least in these days why not face the worst like men if we can't help being unhappy we can help being dishonest and cowardly existence is a misfortune let us frankly confess that it is and make the best of it he was not looking at his watch now he was pacing the room at last he was in earnest and had forgotten all accidents of time and place before the same enigma which perplexed myself the best of it i re-echoed surely under these circumstances the best thing would be to commit suicide no he cried stopping and turning sharply upon me the worst because the most cowardly so long as you have strength brains money anything with which you can do good he looked past me through the window into the outer air no longer faintly tinged but dyed deep red by the light of the unseen but resplendent sunset and added slowly dejectedly as if speaking to himself as much as to me yes there is one thing worth living for to help to make it all a little better bearable for the others and then all at once his face so virile yet so delicate so young and yet so sad reminded me of one i had seen in an old picture the face of an angel watching beside the dead christ and i cried but are you certain he has made no sign not hundreds of years ago but in your own lifetime not to saint or apostle but to you yourself has nothing which has happened to you nothing you have ever seen or read or heard tempted you to hope in something better 
yes he said deliberately i have had my weak moments my conviction has wavered not before religious teaching of any kind however nor before nature in which some people seem to find such promise but i have met one or two women and one man all of them unknown unremarkable people whom the world never heard of nor is likely to hear of living uneventful obscure lives in out-of-the-way corners for instance there is a lady in this very neighbourhood a relation of sir george atherley i believe mrs de N her ladyship would like to see you in the drawing-room sir said castleman suddenly coming in the doctor bowed to me and immediately left the room End of chapter 2